Welcome to Tent Talk, the podcast with Nancy McCrady, where we talk about life under the big tent of God's presence and the provoking process of discipleship. Here we go. Hey everybody, welcome to Tent Talk. This is Nancy McCrady. What is under attack in the church today? I submit to you that one of the major attacks upon the church today is against the birthright of love. Take a listen to these episodes and I pray that you will be convinced by the Holy Spirit of the love that the Father has for you. I pray then that you will begin to let him reveal to you where it is under attack in your own life. Then you'll be able to discern more easily and more sharply where it is under attack in the church and in our culture. Love you all. All right, I am home. I am in Texas this morning, and uh, we got in last night uh, from Frankfurt, Germany. Arrived at our home here in Texas about 9.30 p.m., and my understanding is we got in just in time because word is coming out of Frankfurt that the whole airport shut down for a three-day work strike, canceling all flights. So we just want to give thanks to God that we were able to get out of Frankfurt, Germany and arrive home in Texas safe and sound uh, with no glitches, with no problems. And so we're hitting the ground running today and we are so glad about it. So welcome to Tent Talk. And we are going to open up a series of conversations now on the birthright of love. So we've just finished Butter and Honey, right? The grace of God, the love of God. But let's go a little deeper. And this birthright of love, this message was first being really worked so fresh and so deep in me. Can you believe this? Over 10 years ago. But this is what I love about the eternal, my friends, is the eternal is always fresh. The love of God is always deepening and it's fresh because it's the person of God himself. So it matters not to me that the notes were written a while back because I'm still in it. His love is still opening up to me at entirely new depths because we, my friends, live as eternalists. We are not optimists, pessimists, fatalists. We're eternalists. We are born of the eternal realm. We share in the eternal life, the eternal love, and the eternal spirit of God. So we don't live just in time and space. We meet the issues of time and space and the events here in this natural realm by being flooded with the truth and the reality of the eternal. So we are eternalist and everything, my friends, that we receive of God is eternal. It's born of him. So it has no beginning, no end, no expiration date on the love of God. So let's jump in today with the birthright of love. So I'm going to read to you, uh, I refer to it all the time, the prayer of Jesus in John 17. Specifically today, I'm reading out of the Amplified Classic, John 17, 21 through 26. So let's listen to these words that Jesus is speaking straight to the Father in one of their many, many conversations, right, that began before the foundations of the world in the eternal. Um, But let's listen to him as son of man as he's speaking to the Father in the very real time and space events of his life and circumstances as he finishes his race, runs the whole course, 
um, and he's praying to the Father right before he goes to the cross. And here is what it has for us written down in the scripture. Again, John 17, 21 through 26. That they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe and be convinced that you have sent me. I have given to them the glory and honor which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, in order that they may become one and perfectly united, that the world may know and definitely recognize that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have entrusted to me as your gift to me, may be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, your love gift to me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O just and righteous Father, although the world has not known you and has failed to recognize you and has never acknowledged you, I have known you continually. And these men understand and know that you have sent me. I have made your name known to them and revealed your character and your very self. And I will continue to make you known that the love which you have bestowed upon me may be in them, felt in their hearts, and that I myself may be in them. Wow, Jesus, I pray that your prayer is being answered today, even as, even as we walk through the very things that we're in today. Now, I love that Jesus prayed that, and I want you to hear that in the early church, our brethren that went before us, this prayer was answered. So let's see that in 1 John four sixteen through 19 out of the Amplified Classic. I want you to hear what John penned, what he wrote, this experience of their deep fellowship in the answering of the prayer that Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. This is what is written in 1 John 4. And we know, understand, recognize, are conscious of by observation and by experience and believe, adhere to, and put faith in and rely on the love God cherishes for us. God is love, and he who dwells and continues in love dwells and continues in God, and God dwells and continues in him. In this union and communion with him, love is brought to completion and attains perfection with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, with assurance and boldness to face him, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Dread does not exist. But full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love, is not yet grown into love's complete perfection. We love him because he first loved us. Wow, (laughs) Jesus' prayer is answered 
in those men and women of the early church. And there is the proof of it. The question becomes, my friends, will it be known and will it be uh, experienced and observed by us today in our generation? You see, as Jesus prayed in John 17, he was calling out for sons like himself for the Father. He was praying that the oneness he had with the Father would be the mark upon the sons being made and conformed in his image. He prayed they would know. My friends, he prayed we would know the love of the Father, the love that is the Father. Jesus didn't come to be the only one who would know the love of the Father. Now, always I remind you, Jesus is the only one who is Son of God, Son of Man. But he came to produce, right, to give birth to many brethren, many sons of glory, it says in Hebrews 2. All was done so that there could be sons who received their inheritance, their birthright of love, that you are loved simply by right of birth. Now, we are loved even when we are yet sinners, but my friends, come on. (laughs) We are no longer sinners if we are born again. We now become those loved and in oneness with the Father, just like Jesus. Sinners, of course, sinners are loved. All mankind is loved because God so loved the world, he sent his son. But that is not where the gospel stops. The gospel is so that the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross would restore unto the Father everything the Father had always desired. This is why the full, out, total, complete obedience of Jesus is so phenomenal. He did that first for the Father. You see, there would be no sun, no cross, no blood, no life if there was not the love of God. If there was not the love that not only was spoken in word, but then was carried out in deed. We know again, and I do not apologize for repeating and making a nuisance of myself about this. Galatians 5, 6 tells us there is no faith, right, without love. For faith is energized and activated by the very love of God, which will engender and produce a deep trust in God. So this, this is so amazing, right? This birthright of love. It comes to us by right of birth. Everything that we have as the new man, as the new creation, comes to us because of Jesus. And it is Jesus's love and faith and trust and courage and mind. It's everything that is his now is bequeathed to us, the brethren who follow after him, right? Who is this son that prays like this for us in John 17? I mean, the father calls him the beloved. There is something so powerfully pleasing to the father about his son, Jesus. You see, Jesus knew he had been loved before the foundations of the world. He said that in John 17, 24. The love they shared transcended the boundaries of time and space. Jesus spoke of his Father's love often. In John 3.35, Jesus said, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. John 5.20 says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. 
In John 14, 30, Jesus said, I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do it. At his baptism in Luke 3, 21 and 22, his first public appearance, really, uh, this love is publicly declared for all to hear by the Father about his Son. And Holy Spirit is certainly present. There they are, all three. It says, Heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven and said, Thou art my beloved Son, and thee I am well pleased. The Father makes sure they know the love he has for him. Mm, mm, mm. As he begins his journey to the cross to fulfill why he came, they are wildly and publicly making their love for each other well known. Wow. The Father gazes upon Jesus the Son and doesn't wish for him to be a bit more. There are no lingering wishes for someone or something better. Here we behold total satisfaction expressed. And yet Jesus hasn't really done anything yet, right? I mean, this is he's just beginning to move out. You know, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father says it again. He says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's how it says in Matthew 17, 5. So how was it, even in the common tasks of an ordinary life up until about the age of 30, that Jesus drew the praise of heaven? At the core of his being, Jesus did only those things that pleased the Father. In everything, he stayed true, heartbeat to heartbeat, with the Father's desires. Jesus lived for God alone. You see, because God, the Father, God, Holy Spirit, they were enough for him. I'm going to venture out to say here that uh, God is not enough for most Christians. It's God plus something. It's God plus what he'll bring to me. It's God plus his blessings. It's God plus, you know, ministry. Mm. But just God himself? My friends, that only comes through the abiding life of Jesus Christ. He shares with us his very nature, the nature that is fully satisfied in God alone. You see, God here had a human son that valued his birthright of love more than anything this world had to offer. Hell could not bring anything to Jesus that he desired. Mm-mm. No, he could not. Mm. Hell defeated. <laughs> mm. You see, Jesus desired nothing more than to please the Father. Remember our episodes on the butter and the honey. Mm. Jesus knew it was his birthright to be loved, never having to earn it, perform for it, or strive to achieve it. He knew he was made to live out of knowing He was loved, not feeling, knowing that eventually can turn into feelings out of the spirit to the soul. But first, he knew he was made to live out of knowing he was loved and actually experiencing that he was loved. God was enough for him. Is he enough for you? This is my question to you today as we open up these conversations on the birthright of love. Is God enough for you? Don't give a quick answer. Discipleship does not breed impulsive emotional answers, thought through answers, slow fire answers. Is he? Is he enough for you? And there should there's to be no condemnation in your answer. 
My friends, only he can work this in us. You see, where Adam failed, Jesus had to pass. Adam forfeited his birthright. But when we see Jesus in the wilderness being tempted, oftentimes we can think, oh, he's just being tempted with food or kingdoms or authority or power and to prove that God cares for him by throwing himself off from the temple and, you know, God proved you love me by sparing me these things. Now, I just want to remind you here, this is a statement uh, that I heard many years ago. I used it to open up my book, From Trauma to Trust. Here's the statement, my friends. Seducers are more dangerous than persecutors. Hell loves to seduce the sons away from the Father. You see, in the wilderness, Satan was tempting Jesus to prove who he was and that if he was loved by God, you know, and that God would never let anything happen to him. The enemy loves to taunt the sons of God with the fear that God will not protect them, that God will let bad things happen to them. But what the enemy did not know in Jesus was this, was that God had a son who loved the Father as much as the Father loved the Son. This birthright of love had been cultivated, nurtured in Jesus' life every day. No matter what he experienced, the love of God transcends the events of our life. Friends, we must know this now. You see, Jesus knew that the real temptation isn't for food or power or sex, but the real temptation is to be seduced away from the Father. This is what Adam and Eve fell prey to, and their rebellion was birthed against the Father, right? Which is what opened the door to sin and death. Hmm? I'm giving you some food for thought today. The reason the scripture says Jesus is sinless is because he never stepped out from his full dependency on the Father and his freely chosen dependency on the Father. What Jesus declared to Satan were these words. My Father is enough for me. Mm. You see, temptation isn't about behavior. It's about dependency and oneness and abiding. Hmm? That's what temptation is really about, my friends. Temptation, I don't care what form it comes in, to be good or evil. The temptation is, come on outside of the Father. You can find life outside of the Father. You can be God. Come on now, God's just keeping things from you. You can come on out here. Come on, come on, prove what a great Christian you are. Come on, you can do it. The core of temptation is the total seduction by the power of sin, to live independent from the Father. Hmm? But this one, this one known as the firstborn from the dead, hmm? never was he seduced away. He lived in the love of his Father. And this is what matured Jesus, the Son. It's what will mature us. That's why many find themselves literally out running around, privately, publicly, both, desperately seeking the love of another human, desperately seeking the attention, desperate. But my friends, the sons of God don't live desperate. We may long for 
him, but that's only because we're being satisfied in him and we long for more of him. But we're not desperate like we're, you know, trying to please him, trying to find this love of God. Oh, no, stand still, my friends, and let Holy Spirit pour the love of God into you today, this birthright of love. You see, Jesus knew this love, and he prayed that we would know it. It would be the same love that the Father loves Jesus with. And and in 1 John, we read as we started out today, they said, oh, we've come to know this love. Have we come to know this love of the Father? I'm going to submit to you. You know, in Hebrews 12, 23, it says, we are the church of the firstborn. I'm going to submit to you. What is under attack in the church of the firstborn? It is this love that's under attack, this birthright of love. That's what's under attack. We're going to stop there today. I believe this is what's under attack. Go find love anywhere you want, and, and man is re, you know trying to define love. Even the, the Christian right today trying to define love is what we think it is. No, love is the person of God the Father, God the Son, God Holy Spirit. And they would speak truth to you. Have you experienced your birthright of love? Have you experienced love himself speaking to you face to face, eye to eye, heart to heart, spirit to spirit? Has he spoken to you and corrected you to where it brought you to your knees with revelation and then the true gift of metanoia repentance? My friends, then let's pass that love on. Hmm? The love that speaks truth, the love that corrects and disciplines, the love that says, I will speak truth to you even if it means you reject me. Even if it means you no longer want to be with me, I will speak it. This, this soulish love that oftentimes comes between people, right? Mm-mm. No, nothing born of God is born out of the soul. It's born out of the spirit. Oh, it will deeply impact the soul, trust me. It will restore the soul. It will bring iron into the soul. It will become strengthened. But all of it emanates from God in spirit for him, his purposes. We must know our birthright of love. It is the only thing that will keep us from giving it up in what is called in Hebrews 12 the Esau syndrome, which is where I will give up my eternal birthright for something very temporary. I'm so hungry, so desperate, so tired, so lonely. In that heat of the moment, I will forfeit my life with God for a temporary satisfaction. Hmm? But but let me say this to you, my friends. You might forfeit it, but I guarantee you this. God will not be shaken quite so easy. He contends with us as with sons. So I'm speaking to the church right now. I'm speaking to you as a born-again believer. I'm not speaking to you as some sinner. right? God's not dealing with you as with sinners. If you're born again, he's dealing with you as with sons. He deals with you according to your righteousness. And ooh, that is some dealing. So powerful, so amazing. I'm going to encourage you today to take hold of your birthright of love. 
and then we'll continue the conversations in our next episodes. Love you all. For more information on Nancy, please visit nancymccrady.com or follow her on social media at nbmccrady.com.